You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. All the girls are complicated. Everyone is precious too, and you might get lucky if you do. Oh, you might get lucky if you do. Find the one that makes you laugh. Find the one that takes your breath where you won't get everything that you want. Oh, but you'll need one to don't Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the Christian Feminist Podcast on the intersectional politics of Dolly Parton. I'm Victoria Reynolds-Farmer, and with me today are regular panelists Katie Grubbs and Laurie Norris. Hey, Katie and Laurie. Hey. Hi. Let's get started by introducing ourselves for any listeners that are new to the program. Laurie, you go first. Hi, I'm Laurie Norris, once and future grad student up here at the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia. And the biggest change since I last checked in with you guys, I am now middle class and a homeowner. Woohoo! Yay! Congratulations, friend. Thank you very much. Katie, tell us about yourself. I'm Katie Grubbs. I'm an adjunct professor of English at Houston Baptist University and also a Bible study teacher. And I um, spend most of my time with uh, the four children that I have with David Grubbs of the Christian Humanist Podcast. And listeners, I'm going to apologize from, in advance for my voice today. I have got a cold from the said children, and my voice sounds terrible. So hopefully you can understand me uh, in today's episode. We're sorry you're sick, Katie, but we're glad you're here with us anyway. Me too. It's like old home week on the CFP. Yeah. Because we... We've all known each other for so long. I love it. And I'm sure we will uh, talk about our our time together in Athens as the episode progresses. Uh, Hi, everyone. I'm Victoria Reynolds-Farmer. I live in Woodstock, Georgia with my husband, Michael, of the Christian Humanist Podcast and our cat, Dorothy Parker. Uh, So as I said earlier, this episode is about the politics of Dolly Parton. And that's true in two senses. We're going to talk about the political views of Dolly Parton, the person, at least as much as we can know of them. And we're also going to talk about the political meaning of Dolly Parton, the cultural figure. Uh, But first, a short biography uh, during which I'm going to leave out a lot of things. So apologies to hardcore Dolly fans. Dolly Parton is born January 19, 1946, in a one-room cabin in Sevier County, Tennessee. She's the fourth of 12 children. Uh, Her mother is primarily a homemaker and her father is uh, a farmer and a handyman. Lots of her early music is about how poor her family is growing up. Um, Probably most famously songs like Coat of Many Colors and Hard Candy Christmas. She's spoken really often about the pride and value she sees in people in Appalachia, people that lots of outsiders derisively would refer to uh, as hillbillies, a term that she sees uh, as a term of pride. When she's a kid, she sings on the radio a lot. She makes a name for herself, and she's encouraged by a lot of really powerful music artists to pursue a career, uh, including Johnny Cash, who brings her with him to the Grand Old Opry when she's young. 
She moves to Nashville the day after she graduates high school and gets her big break as the uh, quote-unquote girl singer on the Porter Wagoner show. She and Wagoner have, uh, to say the least, a really tumultuous relationship both personally and professionally. Eventually, she decides she wants to leave his show to strike out on her own. Um, the song I Will Always Love You, which is about Wagoner, is written as a result of this series of events. She explodes as a solo artist. She goes on to have at least 25 number one hits across the country bluegrass and pop charts, including, but not limited to, Jolene, I Will Always Love You, which I just mentioned, Islands in the Stream with Kenny Rogers, and 9 to 5, which we will talk about more later. Uh, P.S. She has a huge movie career. P.S.S. She owns her own theme park. She's everywhere. She is an incredibly savvy businesswoman. Um, and as we will discuss, a really complicated political figure. Uh, and we're doing this episode right now because, as you may have noticed, Dolly is having a bit of a moment right now. She's the subject of an incredibly popular podcast from WNYC Studios, hosted by Jad Amamrad, who you might know from Radiolab, called Dolly Parton's America. And she also recently debuted a Netflix miniseries called Dolly Parton's Heartstrings. The podcast hypothesizes that because Dolly appeals to all kinds of folks, young, old, liberal, conservative, religious, not religious, etc., etc., that she's kind of the great uniter in this uh, current time of, of really divisive politics. And the Netflix series discusses the enduring stories of some of her most popular songs and what they might have to teach us in our current moment. So we're going to talk about both of those things. We're going to discuss two episodes of Dolly Parton's America and one episode of Heartstrings plus four songs. Uh, I'll also just say personally, I was drawn to doing this episode on Dolly, not just because I think she's great and I grew up in the South surrounded by her music and her movies, but also because I think that uh, these hard-to-pin-down intersections of her faith and her politics and the way the public has a hard time wrapping their brains around those intersections has a lot in common with what we try to do here at the CFP, to explore uh, the intersection of faith and politics uh, in ways that are kind of tough to reconcile from the outside and to try to find humanity in these uh, gray areas. So that's a little bit about where we're coming from and why we're doing this episode. Katie, can you say a bit more about how we're structuring the episode itself? Absolutely. Um, she such, has such a complicated public persona and there are so many different threads that we're going to be kind of um, that we think would come up in any discussion about Dolly. So um, today's discussion is going to be split into three different um, subtopics, but that also we're going to be talking about how these crisps and cross back and forth together. So section one, we're going to talk about Dolly's faith as expressed in two of her songs, but also in um, the last episode of the podcast, which is called She's Alive, and it's about Dolly's faith specifically. Um, second section is going to be Dolly's role as an LGBTQ plus ally, um, and in that one, um, we're going to be discussing the episode called Dolitics, um, and also the episode of Heartstrings um, about the song Two Doors Down. And then the final section is about Dolly and women's rights, and Victoria is going to kind of lead us through that, and we're going to talk through... Um, the song and the film, 9 to 5, 
steel magnolias um, and different ways that we see um, strong female friendships happening and other issues. Um, but again, all of these things are going to criss and cross back and forth because all of these things really are woven together inextricably in her public persona. Um, I'm going to go ahead and transition us into our first first one of those sections, which is about Dolly's faith. Um, and we kind of want to talk first about a couple of her songs that are very obviously speaking to faith, um, The Seeker and Hello God. And I want to give just a quick little rundown about these songs um, because they're, they're really far apart in time um, in terms of when they were written and recorded. Um, so The Seeker was recorded in 1975 when she was first kind of, um, you know, when she was at the height of her first kind of flush of fame. Um, and the seeker is a, a more kind of, she described it as a spiritual um, or as a talk with God. It was a top 10 country single. And um, it is more of a kind of, I don't know what, how I want to say this, like a, it's a simpler song, I suppose, than Hello God. Um, she uses some language in that song of parables. She talks about being a bad vessel and a bad seed sown on bad ground. Um, and she asks, uh, sings to God, you're the reacher, reach down and lift. I'm a seeker. You are the reacher, reach down and, and lift me up. Um, the most interesting thing about the seeker to me is that she talks about mountain water washing sins away, which is super interesting because, you know, in the Bible, we have this imagery of the blood washed of Christ washing away the sins. And so it's interesting that she transmutes that into the mountain, the water of the mountains where she grew up. I feel like that's very Dolly. Um, the other song Hello God is all the way from 2002, so much, much later in time. Um, and it is a much more lengthy song, um, and I think has a lot more, has many more layers. Um, it's structured like a conversation with God. It begins with the personal I, and then later trans transforms into a we. We've messed up. We've done so much wrong. Um, at one point, she says, please forgive us, for we know not what we do, which is what Jesus says on the cross to the people around him. And it feels, the song kind of describes a relationship with God that was formerly close, but now is distant, not on speaking terms. Um, and it has a very, to me, had a very help my unbelief feel to parts of it. Um, she talks about doubts um, and just the depravity of the world um, as the song goes on. And um, that song, uh, well, and actually, before I say what I think about it, I want to ask you to, um, did you, had you heard? songs before the or this what did you feel like what what ideas about faith do you feel like the songs are expressing or what do they have to say about what it means to be a believer i had heard the seeker before it's a, a song i i grew up hearing um i hadn't heard hello god before we recorded this episode um the seeker i feel like you can feel the fact that dolly was raised um, in a Pentecostal charismatic environment, it is a very um, Pentecostal song to me, both in its reliance on parables and in its, um, its we as human beings are nothing without God kind of focus. Uh, so I, um, and I'm, I'm not saying that as a good or bad thing, I just think it feel, it's, um, it makes sense to me that she would describe it as a spiritual because it, it feels so, um, big C charismatic to me. Um, what I found interesting about uh, Hello God is it, it also mentions 
depravity the way that you uh, said it does, Katie, but it's because it's on much more of a world level, I do think there's more space for politics there. Um, she mentions uh, sin and self-righteousness, people killing in God's name. Um, a, a line I really uh, thought was interesting at one point, she says, the free will you have given, we have made a mockery of. That's no way to be living. We're in great need of your love. So this idea that like God has given us so much and people have messed it up um, in terms of social division. Uh, she talks about, you know, did you mean certain people to have more power than other people? Um, she can't really make sense of that. So I thought it was interesting that in one song, um, depravity seems to be much more on an individual level and in the other, um, it's, it's much more about social ills, which seems, I mean, both of them seem Christian perspectives to me, but they seem to be angled slightly differently. What about you, Laurie? I actually didn't really know The Seeker. I think I probably heard it, but it never made much of an impression. But I remember when Hello God came out because it was a response to 9-11. And I remember thinking that it was weird that Dolly Parton, who in my head was a religious figure, because I can, I like I all of the nine to fives, you know, and the two door to sound and, and the, the country love songs were always tempered for me with the kind of a gospel approach, a little bit like Elvis, you know, did his rock and then he did his, his, his church songs. And I remember thinking that Hello God was a really interesting way for someone who I assumed was evangelical to grapple with the, con the, the nature of evil in the world as it was expressed on, on September 11th. And the more, the further I'm away from it, the more I, I start to think about it, and the more I've I've learned about her actual personal theology through preparing for this, it's uh, it's it's to me like a sign of how much pain she was actually in in that moment. And we'll talk about this more later. It, it, but it really comes out in the Dalalytics episode um, of the podcast that she really wants to love everyone with the love of the Lord completely. And hello God sounds like she was struggling with that in, in response to this massive national trauma. And I had a lot of respect for Dolly Parton for doing that, for being willing to say something kind of, I don't know, something that might alienate the churchy crowd to be kind of emotionally honest like that on such a, a large scale, uh, I, more power to you, Dolly. It is. It's a super emotionally honest and a super vulnerable song, basically saying the thing that bonds us together as a society is our brokenness and our need for God. Yeah, I, I agree that that's a, a pretty gutsy stand to take given her fan base. Just in, in terms of theology and I, um, I had never heard either of these songs um, before um, I my parents didn't listen to a ton of country music when I was growing up and then by the time I got old enough that I might sometimes listen to it myself usually it would be more like I don't know pop 
kind of influenced country. So I hadn't I hadn't heard these two songs before. But when I was listening, I think everything you guys are saying is totally right on in terms of what's there. The, the, the other big thing that I was feeling when I was listening to these two songs, though, is that, well, for starters, I looked at the words before I listened to the song. So I read through the lyrics as I would a poem, right? And I kind of looked at, you know, the the ideas or whatever. Then I listened to the music behind it, which that was interesting because it was interesting reading the words to the seeker and then hearing this rollic, kind of rollicking music start happening, you know? Um, but the biggest thing that I was feeling when I was listening to these songs was this really weird, to me, it was a really weird tension because both songs have a really humble and beseeching tone, um, particularly, you know, and, and which I think, you know, I mean, that's, I would say as a Christian, that's a proper attitude to have towards God. But at the same time, um, the, this in Hello God, to me, so much in that song feels like we need to work our, we need, we need to lift ourselves up and we need to work our way to God. Um, and you know, she says things like, um, she talks about our free will being messed up. She says, we need to make amends. We need to start again. We've learned our lesson. And the biggest thing to me is the, there's right near the end, there's that line that says, give us one more chance to prove ourselves to you. And that was fascinating to me. And it makes even more sense. It makes even more sense with the podcast episode where she's literally saying things like we have to find our own way to God. Uh-huh. But that was that was really intriguing to me because that Hello God actually made me very sad because I was I was I, I heard the title of the song and I thought, oh, this should be interesting. And then I listened to it and I was thinking, I, there's no Jesus here. Yeah, for I me. put that in my notes too. no grace, no resurrection. No, no. And, and, and especially Laurie hearing when she wrote it to me that that's so I mean, like, that makes it even sadder that the reaction to a disaster would be to to say, absolutely rightly say, look at all this depravity. This is the world's in a terrible state. You know, we um, are united in our terribleness. And then to say, we need to prove ourselves again, you know. Um, And so that was that was really interesting. And, um, and again, I mean, that was something that came up came up again in the episode which let's go ahead and is there anything else you guys want to say about these songs if not we can move on to the episode about her faith the podcast episode yeah let's move on to she's alive okay so she's alive is fascinating it's the last episode of the dolly uh dolly parton's america podcast and um it was super interesting because everything that i was kind of feeling in hello god just came just right out there in the she's alive episode where she's describing her own faith um, which, and, and we should say too, you know, in, in my, in my lit classes, I always make sure that my students know, right. They always want to say about poetry, the poet said X. And I always say, no, the speaker, unless it's, you know, explicitly autobiographical, we have to assume that the, we can't assume the poet and the speaker, are the same person. And I do think it's important to remember that Dolly Parton as speaking in her songs is not the same person as Dolly Parton in her private life, you know? Um, and, but at the same time, she's writing the song. She's not recording someone else's song ever. I don't think, I mean, unless she chooses to do a cover, but, um, so, you know, they, they do go together, but it was, so it was interesting to see all the things that I was kind of maybe feeling with hello God, then jacked up to 11 in the podcast episode where she's describing her own personal faith. And, um, I'll go ahead and kind of give my take on that. And then, um, I'll kind of ask you guys what you thought, but the, the, the ways that she described her, um, her faith in the She's Alive episode were both unsurprising in some ways to me. Like a lot of people, I feel like nowadays, she said that she's not a, a religious person, but that she's very spiritual, which I feel like is very, very common now. Um, and he asked her, how do you practice your faith? And she said, I don't practice that I live it. 
like, you know, so she didn't, she's not, you know, she's not talking about going to services. You know, she says she goes to church when she can, but she doesn't need it. And she says church is in your heart. Um, A lot of that sounds interestingly modern, very millennial, um, which may be one reason millennials love Dolly. I don't know. Um, She says she talks to God like he's her best friend. Um, And, but the other thing about this is that, that blew me away is that, um, and I don't remember his name, but the, the guy who, um, Victoria, you said it, but the guy who's, who's interviewing her, he calls her faith. Okay. Jad, Jad says her, he calls her faith particular and idiosyncratic. And that's probably the best description I could think of to describe the faith of Dolly, right? She affiliates herself with no church, no creed. Um, you know, she, she says that you learn by example and that she says, believing in God is what works for me. And she says, a really fo- stresses free will. And then she says, quote, the Bible says, let every man seek out his own salvation. I'm assuming that's her interpretation of the work out your salvation with fear and trembling first. Um, yes. And, and that's she, Philippians 2.12, we should yes. mention. Okay. Thank you, Victoria. I didn't look up the reference for myself. Thank you for that. Um, and then she literally says that means to save himself, whatever it takes to save you. Um, and so she's, I mean, she's explicitly kind of pushing the idea or at least said, well, if that's the thing though, she's not pushing cause she keeps saying all the time, you know, this is how it feels to me. This is what I think. Um, you know, and then, um, she says, if you can get to that place where you find peace for yourself, then you can help other people. Cause that's the other thing is she's always turning it out onto how can we help other people and what is the point of all this? Right. Um, anyway, those are the things that got me the most, um, that, um, I mean, I I don't know that I've encountered that particular type of theology before, at least not expressed by a public figure. Um, So because often if you hear people talk who have works righteousness based theology, what they say are things like, well, I just hope I'm a good enough person to get to heaven or I just try to do more good things than bad. What Dolly seems to be saying is whatever form you think it should take, you have to do it for yourself. Like she doesn't even, she doesn't talk about doing good work. She doesn't talk about being a good person. She just talks about working out your own way and you have to find your own way. And that's fascinating to me. What did you guys think about this episode or how does it resonate with your expression of faith? Uh, I found her theology baffling and fascinating too. Um, And it was, it was weird for me because I I do have a lot of respect for her as someone who Uh, occupies a lot of intersectional um, political and religious spaces. So I went into this thinking, oh man, I hope I don't have to call Dolly Parton a heretic on the air because I don't want to do that. (laughs) Like, that makes me feel bad as someone who is a fan of hers. Um, But I, I went away from it thinking, what a strange mix of very low church Pentecostal the personal relationship with Jesus is the most important thing and this very kind of 21st century um moralistic therapeutic deism you do you like I I feel like both of those things are present there kind of in equal measure and and that's not where I thought we were going um one more thing I want to mention is uh she tells this anecdote that I think we can't not talk about um, in this section about going to an old uh, abandoned church near her house. And this abandoned church has um, 
essentially pornographic graffiti on the walls. And she plays a broken down piano there and sings and takes in these hypersexual images. Uh, and she says that she feels peace there. Um, I felt something. I felt like I found God that day. Uh, and I felt like I knew who I was. Uh, and then there's a bit from her autobiography. Here in one place, I found God, music, and sex, and all of that is me. Um, which is interesting and true. I, Dolly Parton does uh, embody all of those things at once as a public figure. Um, and I, I think, you know, we, we can't do what we do on this show and, and not mention her aligning herself with, with very similar intersections. I think if we take all of that and we also bring in her political stance, some of that, what is this kind of theology starts to make sense. Um, like a lot of it, what she was saying kind of resonates with me as an almost Quaker approach to the organization of, of faith like the the no need for an actual intermediary figure between you and God, the the waiting until things come to you, sitting in the silence with with God kind of approach. But I think also she there's and I'm I'm not I'm not really sure how to say this, but even the Dolly that is revealing herself on this podcast is still a very well constructed persona. And Absolutely. it is yeah, it is 100% yeah. necessary for her to present a version of herself that she is willing to make public and to keep something else deeply, deeply private. Like at the, the beginning of the Dollalytics episode, there is a little quote while they're kind of setting things up and um, the the – podcast uh moderator is, is asking her are you, are you ready she's like ask me whatever you ask me and i'm gonna tell you what i want you to hear yes and, and i, I think that's impossible you cannot remove that from her theology either that that's such an interesting point and i think that like we're getting her faith we're getting a sense of how she approaches theology, but also she's, she's walking a very fine line and I'll come back to this in, in a little bit. She's, but she's walking a very fine line with her very broad fan base. And she's trying not so much to please everybody all the time. Cause she, I, I definitely get the sense that she just doesn't care if she pleases everybody at any point, but uh, she is trying to measure out the amount of herself in whatever persona she is using to make sure that she is satisfying the requirements of her, her, her session, like wherever she is and the, the interview she's giving the concert she's at the role that she's playing, satisfying that to its fullest, but also absolutely preserving something quiet and special that is just hers alone. And I think that is also what she does with her relationship with God. I think too, that, um, 
you're totally right. And I think you can see that too in the fact that she her her persona is is inexplicably tied up with sexuality. Um, and she's, you know, and she makes a point that that's always been part of it, like in this episode, like you mentioned, Victoria. But at the same time, in her private life, she's a woman who has been married to the same man since 1966. Like, and so it's it's like she it's not like she's lived a sexually profligate life. Like she has this very vibrant sexuality and she talks about it and it's a, it's a thing. But at the same time, it's clear that she the way that she lives her private life is a way that is very, um, I don't know what the word is, like aggressively monogamous. I don't, you know, it's just interesting. Um, and I see what you're saying, Lori. And I hadn't thought about that, but you're right that because it's, I mean, because it's a nationally listened to podcast, you're still, you're, you're not getting, you know, unvarnished Dolly Parton. Um, there's this, um, there's this part I was rereading this week. Um, the, this is completely, I promise it's not a total tangent. I was rereading this week, um, the volume of the Anne of Green Gable saga where she goes to college and she meets a friend, Philippa, who seems super frivolous, but is not really. But her friend says at one point, I wonder if this guy that she has developed feelings for, I wonder if he can ever see the real me who nobody has ever seen, not even you and my best friend. Like, and I, I think about that when I think about Dolly, like it makes me wonder if anybody besides maybe her husband sees the real her or if there are parts of her that are for herself alone particularly thinking back to that that story she describes of sitting alone in the church day after day trying to figure out who she is for herself it's super interesting um yeah anyway i I think that's probably a good transition into uh our second section and the the notion of dolitics um which is a term coined by her manager um Right? Is it her manager or her nephew? Oh, yes. I mean, it's the uh, same man. Or I think they said he was maybe her bodyguard. I don't know if he's her yeah, manager. Yeah, he's her bodyguard. He, he, oh, yes. bodyguard. He's, he's her security manager. That's right. Yes, yes. Um, uh. So her nephew is also her security manager, and he coins this term dolitics. Um, Laurie, can you tell us more about what that term means? Yeah. So dolitics is the... And this is this is their word, the verbal judo that uh, Dolly does to avoid talking about politics, to avoid talking about religion, and probably to avoid talking about taxes. Um, that manages to let her, in in the words of the podcast, circumvent disaster by gliding above the fray. That lets her b- remain the great unifier. Um, she doesn't talk about politics. If you ask her a question, like straight up ask her, what are your politics? She will tell you, I don't talk about that. Or um, if you like sidestep around it, um, she will deflect. So in the episode, there is audio playing of her walking the red carpet and um, doing step and repeats with a bunch of different British journalists at uh, in, at some sort of award show or something, and they all want to ca- talk to her about it's, Brexit. It's the uh, the London well, premiere of Nine to Five, the musical. Thank you, thank you. I completely glossed over that because um, you know my feelings about musical theater. Um, so all of these journalists are trying their best to get her to give a soundbite about Brexit. And sometimes she says, oh, I don't talk about that kind of stuff, and then moves on. And sometimes she pretends she can't hear them to the point where they have to keep asking, and she's just like, so she also deflects with a lot of humor. And 
one of the things they talk about in that the Dolalytics episode is the sense that it comes off as a very shrewd business decision because she's got this massive fan base and the the fan base covers basically everyone because I've never met a person who doesn't love Do- Dolly and she has to serve two masters, if if you will. And there's this one point where she says I figure I can't think about that, the pressure to be a spokesperson for some sort of political thing. I figure I can't think about that. I hope I don't let people down. They put me up on this pedestal. I hope they don't knock me off of it. So there is this sense that Dolalytics is her way of avoiding saying something that's going to piss people off. Because as she says in the episode, no matter what you say, it's wrong. So she'll deflect with things like, the make a joke. Um, she makes a joke in the She's Alive episode when she's asked about her friendship with Shirley MacLaine. She makes a joke about reincarnation that the the moderator doesn't get and she has to point it out to him, which amuses me. Like and in the Dolitics episode, she she makes a boob joke and, and says, I can always depend on a boob joke to get her out of situations. Like Yeah, we'll she we'll does- talk more about that particular joke uh, in a little bit. Because it's, it's a great one. Um, she she sidesteps a lot of these things. And the, the, the podcast moderator starts thinking about this as like a kind of a, a cynical business move. You know, she's got to protect her empire. But then she says something about praying for Donald Trump when she's asked about the, um, Hillary maybe becoming president kind of thing. Um And she says that she feels bad for him and she wants to pray for him. And rather than taking that as a sign that she's truly some sort of red state, dyed-in-the-wool conservative, um, the the moderator realizes, and I think it comes through in in her discussion of her theology and her discussion about her relationship to the queer community, it's that she really does want to love everyone around her the way that God would love everyone around her. And it hurts her to see anybody hurting. Um, even if you may disagree with them politically, if a person is hurting, she wants to pray for them so that they can be better so that everybody can get closer to God in their own way. And that's kind of how I think you can balance her I don't know, country conservative approach in, in some of her songs with her very vocal and proud embracing of, of the LGBTQ community because uh, she doesn't want to cast anyone out. She doesn't want to judge anybody. She doesn't want to abandon anyone. She's like, she loves all of her fans. And I think she like truly loves all of her fans. And that brings me to talking about the two doors down episodes of the mini series on Netflix. So all of these episodes are based on a song and, uh, she and her team chose which songs they wanted to, to have episodes for. And then they found crew to produce it. And with two doors down, which is an amazing song about a very sad woman who is in her apartment and listening to her neighbors, two doors down, having a party and, and instead of sitting in her home crying like she wants to, she goes down and she goes to the party. And while she's there, she meets a new love of her life 
or the night and takes that person back to her apartment and they have their own party two doors down. And so the, the episode of the Netflix show is going to have some sort of sexuality involved in it. But apparently she very specifically told the screenwriter, Mark B. Perry, that this was going to be the LGBTQ inclusive episode. She wanted, this is the storyline that she wanted, a, quote, relatively conservative woman who discovers that someone very close to her is gay. She told that to Perry and said, run with it. And he knew that it was going to be the, the final episode the, and the, like the, the holiday episode. So he brought in experiences from his own life as uh, a southern gay boy, as he calls himself, and put it all together. And what he came up with was the story of a family on New Year's Eve where the sister is getting married and the brother is hiding from their rather overbearing mother that he is gay. The sister is hiding from their rather overbearing mother that she's an actress, which it's weird that the, the episode conflates the two of these and the quote, relatively conservative woman uh, discovers that everybody has been keeping secrets from her because she's kind of the worst. And this whole episode was dreamt up by Dolly specifically to be queer friendly. So what are some of you guys' takes? How do you see her political view? Like the love, you must love everybody kind of thing the let's not be too political but i love my gays view that that dolly that dolly puts out there how do you guys see that playing out in the the tv show um i think we should say that every episode of heartstrings starts with a little mini speech from dolly um very similar to if you guys ever watched um the wonderful world of disney growing up um, and in, in the really old episodes, Walt himself comes out and talks, and in the 90s when they rebooted it, I think it was Leonard Malton or somebody like that. Um, so, but she comes out and says, like, here's what I want you to take away from this episode. And before uh, Two Doors Down, she talks about her road family and how um, she got to get to know all different kinds of people. Uh, she says gay, straight, transgender um, she might say something else, but she definitely says those three things. Um, and that she realized that um, loving people is respecting people. And that's how the episode opens before we meet this family. And so I, I think that's super interesting, like to hear how intentional she was about um, talking about her um, respect and love for these particular groups of people, given everything else we've already said about her saying her not being political. Like, does she think that these are not political statements? Are they just personal statements of love and acceptance for her? Um, we often say on this show that the personal is political, and that's something that we believe. Um, is it so personal for her that it's not political? That's my that's my big question. Um, and one more thing I want to say um, is that I I've watched uh, Two Doors Down three times now. It's not particularly good television. A lot of the writing 
is kind of hilariously bad. I, this is the kind of thing that you watch with your girlfriends while drinking too much wine. Um, I really wish we could have all watched this together, actually, uh, while drinking too much wine. But, My gosh, uh, that would have been that would have been amazing. So fun. Um, but I think like even though it's really well-meaning, and I completely support uh, queer representation on television. Um, I thought particularly the trans representation, there's a, um, a nibbling and they, they tell us, they like basically bring out an index card and read off what the definition of nibbling is, that it's a, uh, niece or nephew relation who is gender non-conforming. Um, there's a, I think, is, they're 15, right? Rin is 15? A, a 15, yes. 15, yeah, 15 is what they say, which, and I wasn't sure at first, I wasn't sure right at the very beginning and when they started talking about that character, whether this was going to be a person who was transgender or non-binary. Um, but then they, they clarify it. Also, by the way, one of the most fascinating things about that whole subplot to me is that super um, conservative mom almost immediately learns the right terminology to save face and not be embarrassed. Right. She does like, it to show off to her like junior yes. league friends. So she like wants to appear woke to them, even though she doesn't really believe it yet. It's all about saving face for her. But I, um, this character is very flat. Like they, they just exist to teach us what being non-binary is. Um, yeah. And I, and I also found it kind of, um, it all felt very glee in terms of like this completely self-actualized teenager is teaching queer adults how to be better queer people. And it just it didn't seem I know that there are generational differences between queer people who are Gen Z and queer people who are millennial. Those exist. But it just it all felt very cardboard and preachy to me in that area. And and they didn't feel like a person. Um, so that's my, that's my view on, uh, those things. Um, and I will let you guys talk before I talk about all of these stealth Steel Magnolias references in Two Doors Down and how much they made me happy. <laughs> I think, I think you've got a really, um, good, cons- like, complaint concern there, but, uh, the whole episode, no, everyone is just a cartoon. Like, there is no realistic depiction of a human being in this, in this episode. And that's one of the things that I've, I, I kind of love about it is, uh, Melissa Leo plays the mother. And as soon as you meet her, she is just a cartoon villain right out the gate. Like, the closest that any of the characters come to being, um, like, round and interesting is the father and i am spacing on the actor's name but he played the preacher in deadwood like he's an amazing actor and i have to imagine that he got the script and and made something out of what is supposed to look like just a a yokel show up and become like the best he's like the dad that gets it and then accidentally shoots his son um it's the whole thing is just stereotype cartoon versions of of humanity so i understand like yeah ren is a cartoon version of an nb and bless their hearts for for trying like they made an effort in in the episode so they, i, I they did them for and, that. and yeah but bless their hearts in both southern senses <laughs> 
Katie, did what did what were your biggest takeaways about uh, the way that the episode positions Dolly with her uh, LGBTQ following? So that's the thing uh, is going back to what Victoria said about can she really say she's not political, you know, because when I was watching the little introduction and you're right, it's framed the way that, you know, like the wonderful world of Disney or whatever, like it, she's, I mean, she's talking directly to the camera and I wrote in my notes, love is love is a political stance. Like it's a slogan. I mean, and cause that's what she says. It's one of the things she says in the intro. She talks about meeting all these different kinds of people and she says love is love. And really it's all about love. Um, but the thing is, because her fan base is so big, some of her fans who are going to, they're going to hear that and, and, and it is going to sound political to them because it is political. Um, because it's, it's a way of, uh, supporting political goals, things like marriage equality. And so, um, that, I, that was super interesting to me, but also at the very end, once Cole, is that, who's the closeted guy? Cole, Tyler, Tyler. Cole's the other one. When, after Tyler's come out and, you know, and they're all, and they're going to be happy and the whole family's happy and they're all standing up on stage with Dolly, but she tells Cole and Tyler, I'm really proud of you, right? So she's, it's not just, oh, Dolly's happened to show up and she's not in any way, you know, affiliated with this situation. Um, you know, she's very much a, um, an, a, a, an approver and a sponsor of their love, their relationship, um, which she obviously appears to already know about anyway. And she um, singles them out. They're not the ones getting married. Like she speaks, no, she speaks yes. to the bride and groom. And then she, like you said, she talks about their relationship in yes. front of these people who are there for someone else's wedding. So yeah, yeah. It, that's that's happening on purpose. And um, and I the one thing that I, and I, I was look about, looking through my notes and you're, I, I, I'm Laurie, when Laurie was talking about everybody's a cartoon, I wrote in my notes, this mom is too over the top to be real. And one reason that she felt strangely unreal to me in part is because, and I mean, I know this is just me. I know there are people like this, but I, I don't, I don't know that I would have in my, in my, in my childhood growing up that I ever knew a, a woman like that who would have these ideas about sexuality, who would not at least reference in some way, some kind of faith-based interpretation on that situation. Yes. It's like she this, does not talk about religion in her objections no, to him being and, gay at all. Which to me did not feel very real to the South. And so she comes across as just mean. Like, and it, and it, and now on the, on the one hand, I get that narratively that works better because if a person can be made to realize they're just being a complete jerk, then they can have a quicker turnaround than someone changing their entire religious schema or something like that. So, I mean, I get that, but that felt very, un, that felt kind of unreal to me. Also, hilariously, the listeners, the mom has had cancer in the last year, which I think is supposed to humanize her. So she doesn't seem completely ridiculous that and her cake stuffing and her mouth scene. And she like has a basically a breakdown and just eats an entire cake. Um, she steals the but, top layer of the yes. wedding cake that they're supposed to save and just like goes to her hotel room and shoves it in her face alone. That may, that may have been my favorite scene though. It is the like, best. <laughs> like, um, but they Oscar about winner her, Melissa Leo, ladies Oscar and gentlemen. Winner. Oh, bless her heart. They um, and I want to see where she's from because I didn't look it up, but I wrote down on my notes that. Cole and Melissa Leo, the guy who played Cole and Melissa Leo, their accents sounded fake to me. Tyler, oh, yeah. I, I, plays Tyler. I wrote his these real. accents are an act of war. <laughs> oh my god! Like I, I couldn't handle it, especially Melissa Leo. But like she, they kept talking about her ordeal, and it was so veiled and so vague that for the first thirty minutes, I thought, is she just talking about menopause? Is that what's happening right now? Is that her ordeal? Like finally, they revealed that she had cancer, but um. I felt like that everybody has a secret thing. I was a little frustrating because um, 
it it for one it was like too many secrets just secrets on secrets on secrets on secrets whatever but at the same time if you're trying i mean i if i i don't know I, I don't know i don't know how i want to say this like if you give everybody a secret it diminishes the impact of every individual secret like yeah it conflates the the sister's secret that she has been an actress in on the, <laughs> the world's on bloody fangs <laughs> the world's best cheap version of like what is it the vampire, vampire diaries? diaries yeah it's oh, vampire diaries so great. which also yeah, it, literally filmed in georgia so lots of lots of cool georgia stuff yeah, yeah. super georgia centric and yeah when she said guess what they picked up my option whatever they want this character to come back and be a recurring character so i don't have to move to la i loved that like because everybody in georgia knows exactly what she's talking about that it's because they're filming in georgia whatever but they don't say that you know, but and all these super, you know, direct references to specific Georgia towns. And I wrote down in my notes who would ever skinny dip in Lake Lanier ever like. Yeah, that place is gross. I have uh, I've gone swimming in Lake Lanier, but with my clothes on because it is nasty. There's like a city under there. That's why. Well, and when I was a kid, I just always remember them. The only thing I ever heard about Lake Lanier as a child is, oh, they pulled another corpse out of it. On the yeah, news, they all, said there were four all kinds here. of dead bodies in there. Oh man. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, the whole thing was a little bit frustrating. Um, it, though the vampire thing was hilarious. When she said hashtag suicidal vampire is trending, I thought, oh my goodness, like somebody at the somebody, you know, said this sounds good. A modern young teen person would, or a modern young person would say this. Um, anyway, um, also I think my favorite over the top emotional line was, "I got shot tonight, but this hurts more." I think that was my favorite line in the whole thing. I was like, really? I mean, I, I understand what he's trying to say, but it was a little bit OTT. Um, anyway, I, uh, to be honest, one of my only other, the only thing I'll say, one of my only other favorite things about this that I actually thought was well, really well done was when uh, recently closeted Tyler asks Cole to move in with him. And instead of doing what a, a person would usually do in a romantic movie and being like, oh my God, yes. What he says is, I need to think about this, which I really liked. I liked that that felt more real. Um, than a lot of anything else in this show to me that, you know, that his, his until today closeted boyfriend has just asked him to move, move cities, move away from where he's been living and move to a new place. And he says, I need to think about this. Of course, then he said yes, like an hour later because Dolly Parton showed up. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. Cole is is the person in this group of people with the best head on his shoulders, hands down. Um, I think that's that's pretty clear. Uh, okay, so are we ready to to move on to our third section and talk about Dolly and women's rights? Yeah, sure. All right. Um, so I mentioned earlier that uh, Two Doors Down has several uh, stealth and not so stealth references to one of Dolly's most famous uh, movies and maybe my favorite movie of all time, uh, Steel Magnolias. Um, and that's true. And also Dolly's other most famous film, Nine to Five. Uh, what these two movies have in common is that they're about the power of female friendships, uh, that women are stronger together than they are apart. Uh, one is a drama and one is a comedy, but they're really both the same at their center in terms of um, female strength being really important. I grew up on both of these movies. They're both super important to me, specifically where my relationship with my mother is concerned. Um, lines from Steel Magnolias are pretty much the language of our relationship. Um, 
for example, uh, the day I got married, um, she looked over at me right before it was time to walk into the church. And uh, what she said to me was, uh, Shelby, it's time, which is uh, a line from the movie where uh, one of Shelby's parents, Shelby, the Julia Roberts character, um, says that to her. Um, she also introduced me to nine to five. I remember I was nine or 10 years old and I was homesick from school. She had to stay home with me and she was um, sort of complaining about uh, staying home, not because you know she didn't want to take care of me when I was sick, but because she was worried about um, missing work and, and what that would mean when she went back to work. My mom was a career secretary her entire life, uh, so nine to five was very important to her. It's a movie about um, these three secretaries played by Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, and Jane Fonda, who uh, get revenge on their incredibly sexist boss. It is a dark, absurd comedy, and um, it's, it's really a, a comedy about worker rights and, and unions and the power of organized labor, uh, and it's, it's something that's very important to my early feminist consciousness, in addition to being important to my relationship um, with my mother. Uh, and, and when she stayed home with me that day when I was sick, uh, that's one of the first times that I learned about the fact that um, women are up against a lot of things in the professional world that men aren't. Um, and that's something that stayed with me. Uh, so in the, we mentioned the uh, Dolly Parton's America episode, Dolitics, before. There's a lot of really great stuff about nine to five, the development of both the film and the fantastic title song uh, in the episode. And Jad, the host, speaks to Karen Nussbaum, who is the founder of uh, an organization called nine to five, a women's labor organizing organization. Uh, and Karen Nussbaum is friends with Jane Fonda. They know each other because they're both uh, anti-Vietnam War activists. Uh, some of our younger listeners might not know that uh, Jane Fonda became, I'm not going to say famous, going to say infamous, um, for being opposed to the Vietnam War. Um, there are some very famous photographs of her with the Viet Cong, um, supporting the Viet Cong, and she got uh, labeled Hanoi Jane as a result. So super polarizing figure at this point. That's how Karen Nussbaum meets her. Uh, they're friends because of their organizing. Karen gets a job as a secretary and is telling Jane these stories of what secretaries experience at work and how difficult their experiences are. Jane thinks this might make a really good movie. She meets with the secretaries that Karen starts organizing with, um, and their stories start to coalesce. They start uh, talking about all these things they'd like to do to their terrible bosses if they could, these kind of cathartic, dark revenge fantasies. Uh, so on the way home from one of these meetings, Jane hears the song Two Doors Down on the radio and decides that in this movie she's making about the secretaries, she would love to cast Dolly Parton, who at this point has never acted before. Um, just because Jane thinks Dolly would be amazing as a secretary visually. 
Um, there are some boob jokes about her typing around her giant breasts and such. Uh, Jane says at this point that she wasn't thinking about demographic expansions, but Dolly interestingly says different. She says that she was expressly told that uh, if she was in it, the film would do better in the South. Um, so that's an interesting disagreement. Dolly says she knew about Jane's political reputation. She wasn't concerned about that. She really wanted to be involved with the movie so that she could be involved with the music. Um, so let's let's talk about that for a minute. Um, the title song, Nine to Five. I love the song. Do you guys love the song? Yes. Yeah, it's it's probably one of my favorite Dolly songs for sure. What like, do you love is, about it? it? Is... Oh, I, go you go. I was just gonna say. I mean, uh, just on the surface of it, the, I mean, it's just super catchy. The beat is incredible. I love the the clicky clacky like the typewriter sound in the background, which apparently is her long fingernails, um, which makes it even better. Um, yeah, that's her idea. The percussion from nails on a typewriter. Yes, and, but it just. Um, it's just a wonderfully constructed song that that kind of hits every base that you need to hit. Like in the in the episode in the podcast episode, they were talking about feeling like the song was so perfect because it hit on every kind of major idea they wanted to get across with the movie in like a three minute song. And it's true. Yeah, There's it's, no. It's the entire progression of the point of the labor organizing movement. Uh, Karen Nussbaum lays it out. First, it's about having pride in your work. Then it's about um, having grievances. Then it's about realizing that those grievances add up to broader class conflict. And then it's about collective action. So yeah, the entire point of joining a union in a three and a half minute pop song, like that's so incredibly rare and amazing. Yeah, there's no wasted space in that song. There's no wasted line, which is why it's so ingenious. Uh, yeah, great song. If you haven't listened to it, listeners, go right now, pause this episode, take three and a half minutes, listen to it, you'll be glad you did. Also, if you watch the music video, uh, it is a tremendously 80s wonderful video as well. Laurie, what were you going to say? Because you let me go first, but then you had a thought, right? It's the opening of the song. It's so perfectly constructed, like musically, that beat starts then all of the instruments start to come in into it and then you get dolly's voice on top of it it is genius and also i would like to pour myself a cup of ambition every morning that is such an amazing line yeah yeah it's it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and i love the way that it starts with this story this class conscious story of a woman getting up pouring herself a cup of ambition and then <sighs> all of all of the man keeping her down nonsense and yet with the song with the actual music of it it's still ultimately optimistic it is so perfect. optimistic i frequently um listen to it when i am slow to wake up in the morning and and want to motivate myself to go to work i like true story not making that up it's something i do to psych myself up for a work day I love that. That's that. That's a genius idea, Victoria. Uh, and yet, we, we've said everything about the song being um, a, a real political encapsulation of the labor organizing process. We've talked about how much it psychs us up. Um, 
And despite slash because all of those things, um, Dolly's management team refuses to let any political figure on either side of the aisle use the song in rallies or campaigning because Dolly isn't down with being seen as overtly political publicly. Um, one of her business partners at the end of the Dollitics episode talks about this thing that happened at the Emmys in, two, in 2017. Dolly is nominated for a TV movie that she did, and Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin are nominated for their TV show, Grace and Frankie, which we really should do an episode on one of these days. Uh, so their handlers kind of all have this idea um, to have to stage this mini 9 to 5 reunion at the Emmys, and they all present together. When they're presenting, Jane Fonda, who we've already said is a very outspoken figure politically, um, pulls a line from 9 to 5 where they criticize their boss, played by Dabney Coleman. They call him a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. Uh, she quotes that line, in order to criticize President Trump. Uh, Dolly had already objected to this when the writers wrote it. She says, quote, I have too many fans on both sides of the fence, and that she uh, learned from the upheaval when the Dixie Chicks protested then-President George W. Bush uh, not to speak out about politics as an entertainer. Uh, so Dolly steps in in this moment after Fonda um, criticizes the president, and she... Um, they're presenting for Best Supporting Actor, and she says, well, if anybody can uh, talk about support, I can, um, and then makes a joke about her boobs. Um, and in addition to making a joke about her boobs, she shouts out Dabney Coleman, who played the terrible boss in the audience, um, and, and mentions his role in the movie as well. So she completely changes the tone and diffuses the tension in that moment. And as a result... Um, gets attacked by both the left and the right, um, who, depending on perspective, says she's either doing too much or not doing enough politically. Um, she also says to Jad later in the interview that what she really wanted to do was ask the crowd to pray for the president, uh, but she thought it was a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, so she defaults to a joke um, Instead, Laurie already mentioned um, Dolly's emphasis on forgiveness and that this is really important to her ethos. Um, Jad has a realization when he's having this conversation with her that it's not that she's dodging politically. She just wants to focus on forgiveness because, quote, she will not cast anybody out. Um, he talks about her defending Jane Fonda to her conservative fans, and he talks about her defending Porter Wagoner, um, to people in her life who said that uh, she should have left him because he was professionally and or personally abusive to her. And he concludes that um, forgiveness is really at the core of her ethos, and this is why she's such a uniter of people. It's not that she's sort of taking the easy way out and, and making a political dodge. This realization of his seems really huge to me for us as Christian feminists specifically. Uh, what do you make of this realization and how can we ourselves make room for grace and forgiveness in our own lives, especially um, when we're trying to live out our personal lives in such politicized times and places? What do you think about that? For me, um, it reminds me of something that, like Dolly's stance 
on why she should, why she is a, a queer advocate. Um, she had this interview uh, in 2016 with Larry King, and he asks her about her her advocacy and and be, being an ally and like what is she, how does she deal with that because she's got these conservative fans too, and Dolly's quote is, "I keep saying." If you're the fine Christian that you think you are, why are you judging people? That's God's job. We're not God. We're not judges. We're supposed to love one another. We're not supposed to judge. I just think we should be more loving, more caring. We are who we are. If you're gay, you're gay. If you're straight, you're straight. And you should be allowed to be how you are and who you are. And I think that that quote plays into uh, Jed's realization here is that she really does want to embody that. She wants to love everyone that she meets and she wants to show that love that she knows as, as divine, that she understands as an expression of God. She wants to live that for everyone that she meets. And for me personally, that's a, it's a massive challenge. It's very easy for me to love the people who I think um, fall in line with my own personal ideology. Like the pastor at my church uh, gives us homework at the end of of every worship service. And one week, her homework um, was that we had to actively pray for the the people that we most disagree with, um, which was a very veiled way of telling my deeply progressive congregation to try and pray for a certain political leader who we all actively want removed from office. Um, and that struck me. It's like, I, I can find, I find it very easy to sit and yell things at the, when I'm watching the news on television, really awful things that, uh, or maybe not what God wants me to be doing. <laughs> I am not loving these people with the love of the Lord, as it were. And I see in Dolly and in her stance about praying for Donald Trump on uh, at the Emmys for wanting to love and accept all, all people, queer, straight, uh, whatever race they are, uh, that's a challenge that I don't live up to, uh, that, that Dolly really does seem to, to walk that walk. And if I could get a little bit of that, I think I would be a better Christian. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking, um, the whole time I was listening to this and I listeners, I told, I told Laurie and Victoria, I, I can't help but love Dolly every time she opens her mouth. Cause she sounds exactly like my grandma who's from the West Virginia mountains. Um, and I mean like the exact same accent. But the other thing that reminds me about my grandma, um, about Dolly is that my grandma loves everybody, everybody. The only person, the only people my grandma does not love are people who hurt the people she loves. Right. So, um, I, that, that kind of, I accept everyone. Um, you know, I forgive unreservedly. Um, that felt feels very familiar. And I, I, and I notice it too. And I think you can see that it's not, you know, um, 
you can see that it's it's really true um, that she is like this with everybody because when we we had also read uh, or you know had listened to this NPR interview when we were first preparing for the episode, which was from like 2009. But in that one, she talked about praying for President Obama, and then she said when she was at this award show with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and everybody, because she mentioned in the interview too in the podcast interview that everyone at this award show that whole night there was a lot of negativity about the administration, the current administration, and she said that she was thinking if we're so upset you know, about this person, maybe we should be praying for him. And that, you know, I I think that seems very, um, again, even though this is all a public persona, it seems very true to life that she feels that way, that, um, and, and that is very much of a piece with in scripture where it tells us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And nobody likes doing that. I mean, really, nobody likes doing that. Like Laura was talking about Um, and so, you know, it, that is a very, you know, and it's funny, people are like, oh, Dolly, she's so unifying in this moment. And that's true. But at the same time, her attitude is one that a lot of people don't like, you know, or wouldn't want to practice in their own personal life. Like, um, you know, um, you talked about her getting lambasted from both political sides for just diffusing that moment at the awards show for not saying, Hey, Trump's not so bad or yeah, he's the worst, but instead, you know, and as she also talked about in the politics episode about this is also true in her own family, even that politics has been a divisive kind of factor in her own family. And she's the one going, can't we just have a nice dinner? Why do we need to talk about this? And I thought that was also interesting that she made a point of talking about how even in her own family, this is something, a dynamic that goes on and happens in her own family. And so I, I will say that I think listening to all of this, listening to She's Alive, listening to Dolitics and the music and everything, I do think that she seems to be very consistent throughout with the idea that you express love and forgiveness to everyone. And I think that that is one reason she's so loved. And I, I think that's probably a fantastic place for us to uh, end the body of the episode and transition into uh, our final segment, and I think everybody's favorite segment, uh, Passing On, where we recommend things we think you should read, watch, listen to, or generally check out. Laurie, how about you go first? So the thing that I want to recommend to all of our listeners is... (sighs) It's a music video. It's a, a song. It is an absolute banger. Um, Dolly did a, uh, collaboration, that's the word I was looking for, with, um, the Swedish, um, uh, dance duo, I think there are two of them, Galantis, whatever, it's Galantis, Dolly and Galantis worked together to put out this song called Faith, which is a club hit, it is very danceable and it is also about jesus and dolly was stoked uh, on on doing this song because one she was like yeah i I would love to do a song for my gays and a dance hit because she keeps teasing the queer community that she's going to put out a dance hit uh, an entire album um and And so she worked with Galantis on this and she sings and she sounds lovely. And in the video, she is in full sparkly bus driver realness. Um, It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's awesome. So you should watch it. It's faith. I am going to watch that as soon as we are done here. It sounds ridiculous and incredible. Katie, what do you have for us? 
So my recommendation is not Dolly related, but it is related to uh, the Appalachian Mountains where where uh, Dolly is from. So uh, listeners, you might not know this, though Laurie and Victoria know it well, but I am obsessed with the Biltmore House. Uh, Biltmore is my Disney. Um, my husband and I have been more than once, and I have a dream of one day getting to do all the beside, behind the scenes tours. Um, but the book I'm recommending tonight is is a book. It's a nonfiction book, and it's called The Last Castle: The Epic Story of Love, Loss, and American Royalty in the Nation's Largest Home. And it's written by uh, this woman, Denise Kiernan. Um, it was a New York Times bestseller, and it came out in 20, 2017. Um, I loved this book because it's a really, 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 really readable. Um, historical account of how the Biltmore estate came to be um, that at the same time walks through not just the house, the estate, but um, it also focuses on George and Edith Vanderbilt, how their relationship began, what she was like before they married. So there's a lot of Edith in this book, which I really appreciated because she was a fascinating person. Um, And there's a ton of focus on the efforts made uh, among their staff to try to um, bring back the forest because it had there had been so much clear cutting to build mills and for lumber and all this kind of stuff and how they basically were kind of trying to resurrect the biome um, in that area of that particular part of the forest um, and then also a lot of attention paid to to charitable efforts and different things that happened um, after George Biltmore died anyway if you're interested in history at all um, particularly the history of that area or of the house itself it's a great book Denise Kiernan's The Last Castle thanks Katie uh, I'm going to recommend uh, Dumplin' on Netflix, which is a movie adaptation of a delightful YA novel um, about this girl, Willa Dean, who is a fat girl in the South, um, and Dolly is kind of her spirit guide. Um, she's introduced to Dolly through her aunt, who has since passed away, and she listens to Dolly songs all the time. Um, The soundtrack to this film is wonderful. Dolly also wrote a new song um, just for the film. And in the film, Willa Dean, her mom is this southern uh, pageant queen. Um, We talked about southern accents in Two Doors Down being an act of war. Uh, There are some actually fantastic, good, non-act of war southern accents in, uh, in Dumplin', though not performed by Jennifer Aniston, who plays Willa Dean's pageant queen mom. Um, Hers is is also an act of war, unfortunately. But so her mom is a pageant queen. Willa Dean is a fat girl who knows she's fat and who is teased mercilessly for being fat um, by other people in this town. And she decides to enter the town's historic beauty pageant as an act of protest. And uh, that's kind of the center of the movie. It's this story of... Um, these girlfriends doing the pageant together and thinking about self-acceptance as teenagers and uh, the phrase that they repeat, which is a famous Dolly quote uh, several times in the movie, is find out who you are and do it on purpose. Um, Also notably, the film ends with uh, a club full of drag queens doing um, several Dolly songs in a row. It's this Dolly review um, and it is joyous and wonderful. That's my recommendation. Dumplin' on Netflix. So uh, that, I think, brings us to the end of our episode. Uh, this one was for you, Mom. Love you more than my luggage. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. 
If you have a topic or a reading recommendation for a future show, or if you just want to tell us hi, please do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page or at the network's Twitter handle, at CH Radio Network. You can check out the show notes from this and other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison. For Katie Grubbs and Lori Norris, I'm Victoria Reynolds-Farmer. Tune in in two weeks when we'll be talking about Marjane Satrapi's graphic novel, Persepolis. Until then, in Essentials Unity, in Non-Essentials Liberty, and in all things, love.